Good morning, folk. It's good to be here with you this morning, and it's a great privilege for me to share the Word of God with you this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your presence here this morning, grateful for all that we could hear and be encouraged about. And now when we come to your Word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and that when we leave this place this morning, we will know God has spoken to us. And we will respond accordingly to your honor and to your glory. Amen. Please turn with me. I've got an Old Testament reading that I want to share with you, uh, to read to you this morning. And then we'll go to the New Testament. And the theme of, my service, uh, of the sermon this morning is the glory of Pentecost. As you know, over this period, over this month, many, many churches all over the world are a reminded of the great blessing of Pentecost. And I felt it very appropriate for us this morning to speak around and to share around Pentecost because I believe that so often we tend to grow out of remembering the glory of Pentecost. There's so many other things that people have forgotten about. So I want to just ask you to turn with me to Joel chapter 3. Sorry, Joel chapter 2. And I want to read to you from verse 28 of Joel chapter 2. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said. And then turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We read, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other uh, tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under the heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Are you feeling spiritually dry and desire to be more effective in your walk with God? It's a very important question. Sometimes a question that we do not always ponder because we are so used to all the modern amenities around us. But I trust that you will be encouraged and that you will desire God and that today you will walk out of this place knowing 
that God desires to have fellowship with you, just as He had desired to have fellowship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Just as He desires to have fellowship with you through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again. Pentecost, meaning the 50th day, is celebrated by Christians all over the world. This is a time of expectancy and celebration. It comes from the Jewish uh, Feast of Weeks that was commemorated in the giving of the law during Moses' leadership. In, in Israel today, it is known as the Shavuot. In England, this celebration was known as Whit Sunday or Whit Sun. Pentecost is celebrated seven weeks, 50 days after Easter, Sunday, and Pentecost itself falls on the 10th day after the Ascension Thursday. We all know that this glorious event in history reminds us of the descent or the giving of the Holy Spirit, which to many was known and is known as the physical birth of the church here on earth, as described in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost was a defining moment in the history of the church. Here we see how the prophecies of the Old Testament and the promise of the Lord Jesus that he would send another comforter comes to fruition. This morning we are reminded as believers how earnestly we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to be effective in our worship, to be effective in our relationship, and also to be effective in our mission. Throughout history, the church has been battered and bruised. At times, it might have seemed as if the church is nearing extinction, only to see how the Lord, who has promised to build His church, moves in power and glory to keep us all in step and focused. History tells us of many revivals. Today, we are assured that the sovereign God is in complete control and will fulfill His divine purposes. With that said, there is also a very uneasy feeling in the church today about revival. So many people are lost. So many people are des in desperate need of salvation. If you take a look at the church today, it is very apparent that a lot of worldliness has, and compromise has started creeping into the church at a terrific rate. On matters of faith, we've become silent. And we need to be politically correct. The Bible has become a storybook to many people. And many theologians even question the inspiration and validity of the scripture. So many have left the church disillusioned as we have failed in living and in applying the message of Christ. Some churches are so well run that they don't even need the Holy Spirit because they rely on their marketing strategies and all the modern, th the modern things going around it that they, they, they are growing to such an extent as if the Holy Spirit is really not necessary because we've become so modernized in many of our ways of so-called reaching people. We also see that the people want to have the feel-good type of teaching. You know that fuzzy type of teaching? I want to go to church and I want to feel all good inside, you know? So what happens is we find the compromise coming that pastors are too scared to preach and speak about sin because that's going to affect somebody maybe down the line. 
you know, we don't want to upset this, this nice feeling of everything is good. Don't worry about it. Let's all be honest. We all want that feel good and not have our world rocked around us. Let's be honest. Who wants to have their world rocked? Who wants to, 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 to say, oh, no, this has really brought me under conviction now. Very few people want that in these days. The worldview carries more weight than the Christ view. Liberalism, legalism has overrun the church. The New Age movement has cottoned on to all this type of stuff and has mixed uh, biblical truth with modern psychology, demeaning God and telling you that you are your own, your own God and that you are in, in control of your own destiny. Truly, my friends, we really need a divine visitation from God in these days. Sometimes we compensate for this by giving no teaching. On the Holy Spirit. Other churches sometimes have gone to the extreme overemphasis of the Holy Spirit that's caused confusion. My prayer this morning is that we would start looking and grasping the beauty of this teaching on Pentecost. That is my, my prayer for each and every one of you this morning. As for myself is, oh God, please bend me this morning. Fill me with a desire to be a man of God. That is my desire for my life. And I trust that it's for you men and women because men have abdicated their role in the homes in these days. We find less and less men who are priests in their home, who are leaders in their home, who are taking their families and leading them. And my prayer for the men this morning is that you would have with me this desire to be men of God filled with the Holy Spirit, living in the power and the glory and the blessing of God. I want you to know, God has not left us behind as orphans. That's what Pentecost is about. We are not orphans this morning. We are, are, are belong to, to the family of God. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture is very clear uh, on the way we have to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Personal revival is essential. There are times that God has chosen to reveal Himself in a very demonstrative manner and times that He has spoken in a still, small voice. I trust that by looking at this text this morning, you will desire to have an unquenchable thirst to follow Christ. Three truths this morning. You can... You can uh, follow me in the, in, the, in the little outline that Maria has prepared there. Three truths confront us. The season the Spirit was given. The season the Spirit was given. When the day of Pentecost came, or as the King James puts it, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, you have little A, Bs, and Cs. The first there is, from this we derive that Pentecost occurred at a divine appointed time. There was a set time in God's agenda to favor the church. Often God holds back, both to try our faith and to prove His sovereignty. God appoints to lay bare His arm. We know that the wind blows where it will. That's the truth of God. Well, uh, the, uh, well calculated to hide pride from man. 
if every drop of rain has its appointed time, every glimmer of light, its predestined pathway, every spark of fire, is its, uh, its settled hour, certainly the will, foreknowledge, and decree of God must have been arranged and settled the period of every revival and place of His gracious visitation. Times of refreshing in the church comes as the Spirit has determined. The day of salvation to each individual is an appointed time. The second birth is not left to chance. Yes, more, more, more every breath of the divine Spirit which sweeps across the mind of the believer. Every drop of sacred oil that anoints us or holy dew which, which quickens him comes to us according to that irresistible grace which breaks the bonds of sin and binds the wounded heart. In God's appointed time, the light of heaven shines through. And although this does not withhold us from asking for the Spirit every day, it is to encourage us, if it is not immediately at work, or uh, if the Holy Spirit tarries, we are to wait for it, because in due time God will send. Secondly, Pentecost occurred after the ascension. The Spirit was not given until the ascension. These blessings can be described to us in various ways. His life is our imputed righteousness. His death brings pardon. His resurrection confers on us justification. And His ascension, my dear friends, on us the Holy Spirit and those wonderful spiritual gifts which edify the body of Christ. As we read in Ephesians 4, verses 8 through to 16. Further, there is more teaching on this season. We read that it was Pentecost. The season coincided with the feast, Jewish Feast of Weeks. On Sinai, the law was given amid thunder and lightning. The gospel, God's better law, came with a mighty wind and flaming tongues of fire. This is the new harvest feast of the birth of the church. Listen, friends, Pentecost was not a time for sowing. It was a time for reaping. Because Jesus had said, the fields are white unto harvest. Look, I need the workers to go in there. Why? Because there's a time of reaping. When the Holy Spirit of God was poured upon those people, the reaping started. And you know the results of what happened that day. More than 3,000 people were added to the church. I want to tell you we are living in an area. We're living in a community here this morning. We're living in a place where people gather together of all different countries, all different uh, nationalities. And we are privileged this morning to meet this way because this is how the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives. And from out here, we can take the gospel back to our countries like us have did and all these are different places because here is where we meet God. Yes, it was at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came. Pray that God would visit us with His Spirit. May His Spirit fill us today. This special season is further illustrated to us in the following. The receivers were all together in one place. We all have been expecting to see days of heaven upon earth. 
We are all longing to hear the voice of God thundering out of heaven. We long to see thousands turn to Christ. Yes, you may have read or heard of spasms of revival. You may have read and see what God can do in the past. But why is it that we see and read about these revivals? You may correctly ask. Well, perhaps the reason why we do not always see revival is because of the lack of union. The lack of union. So often we are not of one accord. So often we are busy doing our own thing, our own petty theologies and views, and this leads to confusion, strife, and filters through to the rest of the body. Where there are no cold hearts, no prejudices to divide us, no indifferences, no sectarianism to separate us, no apathy to hold us down, no false doctrine to separate the flocks from one another, and no factions or dissensions to tear apart the church of Christ, then may we expect revival. In any church body where there is no argument as to who is the greatest, no division about peculiarities, no fighting for responsibilities, but having one mind, Together, as Paul teaches us, we can expect to hear the sound of abundant rain. These people were not only unanimous, but they were, had one objective. They had all been praying, thirsting. God sorted out their differences. Don't forget when they were walking with Jesus, what were they saying? Who's the one that wants to sit next to Jesus in heaven? Who's the one that is greater? And they had these, these little petty arguments with one another about, about their positions in Christ and where they wanted to be positioned in heaven one day. You know those stories. God had to use that time in the, in the upper room so they can sort out their differences, so that they could be men and women of one accord. I want to tell you a church that's divided in its leadership a church that's divided amongst itself, my friends, will not experience the blessing of God. They were unanimous. They'd been praying. And they didn't just say, Lord, bless us. I think that's the worst prayer that we can pray. Just, Lord, bless us. What must he bless? But I hear everybody where I go, Lord, bless us. What must he bless? There's no depth in prayer nowadays. There's no seeking after God. There, there is just this idea of just saying, God bless me. But these people had more than just prayed, Lord bless us. You see, our unity should not be that of the frozen kind of unity. But a glorious welding of the glowing furnace. That's what our unity should be. Our unity is visible. Our unity is something that brings warmth, not ice coldness. Not so long ago, I attended a church, and I walked into this church, and, and there was such, uh, it was like a refrigerator, and it wasn't a cold day, let me tell you, but it was like a refrigerator inside. And the more I'd, I'd sat there, the more I realized, after the pastor had tried to share the word and everything, I realized something is wrong. And after speaking to the pastor, he said to me, brother, I'm new to this congregation. 
But he says, you know, on the left-hand side, there are two groups. On the right-hand side, there are two groups of people. He says, and he's constantly in there, and I'm in the middle of all this. And my preaching has no effect. Because I dare not speak about these things. Because if I speak about it, I've lost my job. Well, I said to him, lose your job. Before proceeding to my second truth, let me just say that these remarks that I've made about the season, you have some legitimate questions that come to you. First is, am I a hindrance to the outpouring of the Spirit of God due to the fact that I harbor bitterness? There are so many Christians harboring bitterness. I was in South Africa with, with Maria just shortly, and I just noticed with a, a lot of the Christians in the churches there that, that we had been speaking to, the bitterness. Women and men who have divorced and they don't speak to one another. There's, there's just this, this whole thing. And children are bitter towards parents. And parents bitter towards children. And church members bitter towards the pastor. And you just cannot believe it. And I want to tell you something. These are the hindrances to the Holy Spirit working in our church. Bitterness is the biggest root of, of that, that causes a hindrance of the freedom of the Spirit of God. Hebrews 12, 15 tells us, do not let the root of bitterness come up within you. My friends, if you are sitting here this morning with bitterness in your heart, your prayers will be cold before God. Deal with your bitterness. Acknowledge it. You know, so often you have to go phone the person that you think is cross with you, and you have to phone them and say, can I meet with you? And open your heart to them and allow the Spirit of God. Don't wait for them. I hear the people say, I can forgive but never forget. I can forgive but never forget. Well, I want to tell you something. Then you haven't forgiven. So do I hinder the outpouring of the Spirit through bitterness? Do I hinder the work of God because my of my lack of love for Him and His people that divides the church? What is my love relationship with Jesus like? Do I love Him? Do I really love Him? Do I love my fellow brothers and sisters? I want to ask you, are you willing to lay your life down for your fellow brother and sister? Is that the love that you have for them? Because the Bible says no greater love hath man than this, that he can lay down his life for his friends. We need to learn to know what true love is. Because from true forgiveness we find true love developing. The third question is, is the lack of the life of prayer the downfall to experiencing God's blessing? What's our prayer life like? You might say to me this morning, you know, Chris, um, I don't pray much. I'll say to you, well, better start. Because prayer determines your relationship. Imagine being married to a wife, your wife, and you never say hello to her. You never speak to her. Imagine. Is there love in that relationship? I'm telling you, prayer determines our love relationship with Jesus. And then the last uh, two more questions. Do I sorrow over my sin without remorsefulness? I can often say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But true remorsefulness, 
my dear friends, breaks that chain. True remorsefulness. You take David in Psalm 51 when he had committed the sin of adultery. And you find him there, a man laying his life bare before God and opening his life. And the remorsefulness coming out that eventually you find that God, he was called the friend of God. He had a relationship. He lived and he knew that when he failed, and we all fail, but is there remorsefulness over our failure and over our sin? And then the fourth question is, when I pray, do I expect a visitation from God or do I give up because I do not have it my way? Prevailing in prayer. Now many years ago, I grew up in a, in a, in a church in, in, in South Africa, an English church in a small rural town. Those of you from South Africa know Valcom is the central part of, 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 of the free state, okay, and this, or the central part of, of, uh, of, of, of South Africa, you know, the free state. I grew up there in the early 60s. I saw revival, true revival. I saw how men who were, who were, who were living lives outside of God, how they would come to church and how they would literally run from the back of the church to the front and the altar rails and how they would confess their sin. I saw alcoholics change there. I saw men and women's relationships restored there. As a kid, I saw it. We truly lived in Valcom in a time of revival. The whole town was buzzing. Things were changing. Men and women were turning to Christ because of the godly preaching and because that little church that I was a, a member of that time, that little church had men and women who were faithfully praying Every Saturday night, they would come from all the areas and they would converge in that little prayer room on that church and they would pray for four or five hours every Saturday night, seeking God's blessing upon the church. Because they didn't give up and God did it. Now the second truth is, and I know I must rush, is the manner in which the Spirit was given. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Each word here we read in, in Acts chapter 2. Each word here is very suggestive. First we read it says, suddenly, okay? Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. If the Lord is about to do a great work in the world, we should not be surprised to hear that it comes suddenly. As people, we sit and make our plans, and everybody knows about them. But God in His sovereignty knows how to do His work. We need to have expectant hearts. Looking back at the revivals in the past, we see how God prepared hearts for His great work. Jonathan Edwards stood up and read his sermon, and suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon those who gathered together. And there was such a conviction of sin that they were clinging to the pillars in the church, fearing that they would slip into eternal damnation. Livingston standing on a gravestone in the pouring rain, Addressing the crowd, suddenly the Holy Spirit moved in a mighty way. Hundreds received Christ that day. George Whitfield preached, and the Holy Spirit came down like lightning in the skies, and people were saved. Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a small little church, and suddenly the Holy Spirit came down, and lives were changed, that the church could no longer contain the crowds, that they were forced to move to bigger premises a couple of times. 
What a joy to see the movement of the Holy Spirit. We need the sudden rushing of the Spirit of God as, uh, 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 that is at work in the church and the world. Then the next uh, word that we see is the sound. Although the Spirit is silent in His operations, He's never silent in the results. He might be working silently, but the results are never silent. And that's why I believe that once a man or a woman, or a boy or a girl, commits their life to Christ, you can never be silent. You hear what I'm saying? You can never be silent. Because when God changes our lives, the results of that change becomes evidence to people around us. And that's why we need to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can never conceal the work of God in our hearts without it reaching out. Never ever. And we know that that's work of the Holy Spirit. He didn't come to conceal. He came to reveal Himself so that people could be changed. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the sound of a mighty rushing was a type of, of, their, of, of their own testimony, which was to go out to the whole world, the spreading of the gospel on a large scale. We read of the violent wind. It's remarkable that both the Greek and also the Hebrew languages uses the same word for wind as, as for spirit. The Lord said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wants. And you hear the sound thereof. Jesus made Nicodemus understand there's a mysteriousness of the Spirit's work. And you hear the wind, but you do not know where it comes from. The Holy Spirit, my friends, knows no borders. He breaks through barriers of cultures and strife. He breaks through areas to glorify God. At times he comes to comfort, other times to alarm. This was a violent of a rushing wind of the Spirit that influenced the world. Within Paul's day, my dear friends, 50 years of murder, the world of Paul's day was reached with the gospel. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, uh, the, the Spirit filled the whole house that they gathered in. What a magnificent and glorious display of God. My friends, I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that God can change your world? Are you resisting Him? I've got good news for you this morning. When the Spirit comes to you and rushes into your heart, He changes you. He changes you. We know that the Spirit also came and rested upon them as, as, as tongues of fire, which talks about this divine power that came to rest upon Him. And we know that 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 this tongues of fire represented the glorious message of the gospel because each one heard the gospel in his own language. What a glorious event that must have been. It pleased God that through the foolishness of preaching, others might be saved. The tongues of fire reveal that when God's word is spoken in power, it will consume sin, it will scorch lies, it will enlighten the darkness and comfort those who are mourning. This is the abiding influence of the Holy Spirit. He never leaves us. He's the guarantee that we are saved. The last truth, and I'm going to steal a bit of Matthew's thunder here in the last truth. The result of Pentecost. Remember after the crucifixion, 
Where did you find the disciples? In the upper room, locked away, scared to show their faces because they were going to, uh, thought they were going to be persecuted, okay? But at Pentecost, what do we feel? We see a boldness. We see a new freshness. There's a result. And you know, right through the book of Acts, what do you read about? You read that they prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness to go and share the word of God. And we see that was one of the results of many. We see people that were saved. And why I'm stealing Matthew's thunder here this morning is because right in the beginning of Matthew's ministry, he laid down three areas of teaching for us that, were, uh, that we can clearly see in the book of Acts and, other, other, uh, 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 and the Gospels. And remember, he spoke to us about the three areas. Growth. Can you remember that? What was the next one? Community and influence. That is what the book of Acts is, and that was the result of the, the, the pouring of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. You saw the growth. You saw the community life. You saw the influence. And you just read of it all the time as you go through the book of Acts. Because the streets of Jerusalem were never the same again. There was dancing on the streets. There was healing on the streets. People were receiving Christ. There was no call, need to call for prayer meetings because when Peter found himself in jail because of the gospel, what happened? There was a prayer meeting he could go to because he knew there would be a prayer meeting. How difficult it is today to get people into prayer meetings or into home groups. We'll rather cancel a home group than have a home group. But my dear friends, when the Holy Spirit works in our lives and He changes us, we see that we can never, ever be the same again. So this morning I'm asking you in conclusion, are you thirsty for God? Please remember that God can quench your thirsty soul today. Remember the season. Remember the manner. And look at the results. And trust God to bring freedom to your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that under very difficult circumstances today your word was shared. But I thank you, Lord, that I know you're building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I thank you for this body. I thank you for the love that this body has for one another. I thank you for the love that this body has for you. And I want to pray that you would take this body and you would mold us and use us and fill us to the glory of your name. That when we see again, we will not contain the people because of the goodness of God and the working of the Holy Spirit. Bring unity to your people. Bring our unity, Lord, in the one accord. Help us to do away with all our little pettiness and turn to Christ and to follow you faithfully in everything. I thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.